This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. As John said, it is our 6-8 weekend here at Calvary. What does 6-8 mean? Well, for us at Calvary, we intentionally set aside this weekend every single year to focus on what the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, tells us about what God desires for us as his people. So many times we wonder, what does God want from us? What does he require of us? What delights his heart? Well, Micah 6, 8 tells us this. He has told you, O man, O human being, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The prophet Micah is speaking at a time in which he is telling the leadership of Israel that God's judgment is coming upon them. The prophet comes to do two things. Prophecy is two things, to both foretell and forthtell the word of God. And so he shows up to Israel saying, your leaders are leading as they exploit their workers, as they gain wealth through injustice, as they rob the poor of their lands and do nothing of justice and mercy and walking humbly with God. Therefore, let me tell you what God is going to do. God is going to bring judgment on you. First, the Assyrians are going to come in, and then the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to carry you off into exile. And even though he speaks of God's judgment, he also, at the end of each judgment section, talks about the hope of God as well. That this won't be the end of the story, that God will one day return us to the land, that there will be a new temple, a new Jerusalem, that God himself will be your shepherd again and lead you out into new pastures. And so, yes, there is judgment and then there is hope to look for. I think just like the prophet in Micah 6, 8, James in our text today is going to talk to us both about God's judgment and hope. For the oppressed. So if you have your Bibles, your journals, go with us to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 1, he opens up with this refrain that he used last week. Come now, like listen up, pay attention to. If you've been distracted, wake up. So come now, he says, you rich. He has someone in mind. You rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So there's a distinct group that James has pointed out several times in the book of James in which have been oppressors of the people. This is this wealthy land-owning group that has actually drugged people into courts, that has robbed them from their lands, that is the source of their suffering. And here he pronounces God's judgment on them. And these are harsh words. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. Like start turning all the parties that you've had into a posture of misery, of tears, for the miseries that are coming upon you. God's going to judge how you have lived. Now, first and foremost, this category of rich isn't all rich people. We know that God isn't against all people who have wealth. You look in the scriptures, many people who feared God and followed God 
were people of wealth. You think of Abraham and David and Solomon and the example of Job that we'll see here in a moment. We're wealthy people. Some of the disciples were wealthy individuals. You had wealthy people come to know Christ, like Lydia. She was a businesswoman of of fine fabrics and cloths. And so it's not just a pronouncement of all rich people, but particularly to this group of wealthy landowners for two reasons. How they have acquired their wealth and how they have misused their wealth. And so James is going to say, weep and howl for the miseries are coming upon you because God's judgment is upon you of how you have acquired your wealth and how you have misused your wealth. So let's look, verse two. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. Will, sorry, their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in this last days. And so he says, the evidence, the fact that you have acquired your wealth and misused your wealth that's going to be against you is look at how your garments are moth eaten, how your gold and silver is corroded. This evidence is how their resources that God had given them had been hoarded. They have taken their resources and stored them away instead of using them to care and alleviate for the suffering of the people. You see, the clothes that are moth-eaten are idle garments. Your clothes, my clothes don't get moth-eaten as we wear them. If you can imagine your maybe your grandmother's closet, you would open it up and it would smell like mothballs. Why is that? Because idle garments, those that are stored for long periods of time, well, the moths will come and eat those. And so he's saying, look at your garments, look at your riches, your gold and your silver that's rusted. It's because it's been idle, sitting there, unused. And God does not give us resources to hoard and put them in our basements, in our attics, to take out uh, more storage units in town so we can just fill it with our stuff. No, he says, this will be evidence against you. This is the misuse of God's resources to be hoarded, to be idled, to be stored. They should be used to care for people, to alleviate suffering. Then it goes on in verse four, it says, Behold, the wages, the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The second thing is, you have gained wealth through exploitation. You should have paid your wages to your laborers, but you have not. You have failed to do the very things that God has called you to do. This goes all the way back to Levitical law that we see in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. If you want to go there with me, go to Leviticus chapter 19. Talking to the people of Israel, God says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Like if your laborers worked for you in the day, you need to pay them at the end of the day. Do not hold their wages overnight. This is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14. It says, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners, that means one of your native countrymen or an immigrant who is in your country working, 
who are in your lands within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. And so in the codes of how to perform in the marketplace is that you would care for your laborers, your workers every single day. They have now exploited their workers, James says, and withheld their wages. And they're accountable for this grave sin. So imagine this. They don't have storage units like we have storage units. They don't have a refrigeration to hold on to food for longer than a couple of days. They don't have pantries that are stocked. And so they are usually working for a daily wage that they would then go and purchase daily bread. And so if wages are withheld from them, they're not able to purchase food for themselves or for their families. And so they would return to work hungry. And perhaps even a few days of this, that would actually cost them their life, which James will point out here in a moment. And so they are exploiting their workers and not upholding the very things that God has called them to do, to pay their laborers every single day. So two things now. They have misused their wealth by hoarding it, and they have ill-gotten their wealth through exploiting their workers. And James says their cries, they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's exactly what God said would happen back in Deuteronomy. Like, if you do this, then they will cry out against you to the Lord. And you know what? The Lord who watches and hears is paying attention. I don't know if you've ever experienced true injustice or maybe someone you love has experienced true injustice. It's horrific. When you experience real injustice, it means that you've experienced a real wrong and no way to make it right. There's no courts that are gonna rectify it. There's no one that's gonna be a champion of your cause. Truly, you sit in this wrong. And what comes out of that is this feeling of anger, of helplessness, hopelessness. And so what we want to know is, is there a God who even knows what's going on, that's paying attention, that will do anything? And here in James, and I think here in the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, God is described as a God who hears the cries of those who are are experiencing injustice. From the very beginning, the very first act of injustice is Cain killing his brother Abel. If you go all the way to Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter four, Cain kills Abel and God comes to him. Verse nine says, then the Lord said to Cain after he had murdered his brother, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This act of injustice has reached the ears of God and God knows exactly what's happening. He says, cursed are you, Cain. And he brings judgment on the very one who killed his brother. This is the God who is not aloof or distant or not paying attention to what's happening in our world. This is a God who is tuned in to what the oppressors are doing and how we are experiencing the oppression from them. This is what God says, you go to, Back over to Exodus chapter three. In Exodus chapter three, this is the famous story of when God calls Moses to go and liberate the people from their slavery. This is what God says. 
Chapter three, verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse nine. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. I think for the oppressors and the oppressed, we both need to know that God is watching, that God hears. For the oppressors, you need to know that what you do in the marketplace, how you perform business, how we treat our workers, God is watching and God will hold each one of us accountable. And for those who are experiencing the injustice and the oppression of the world, know with hope that God is watching and that your cries are not landing on a deaf ear. That the actions that are being done to you are not, are not being, are not blinded to the Lord. He is paying attention. And so there is both judgment here for the oppressed to know that God will hold us accountable. And then there is hope for the oppressed, that God has hope for us, that our cries will not go unanswered. So back to James chapter five, he continues to bring about this judgment that God has. Weep and wail for how you have gotten your wealth and how you have misused your wealth. We've already seen that these wealthy landowners have hoarded their wealth and exploited their workers. Now look at verse five. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So the third way that James holds them accountable is because they have misused their wealth and spent it on themselves. You see this? That you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. They have acquired all of this wealth and then they have spent it on themselves. It's self-indulgent. It's luxury. So how much is luxury? That's a good question. Do you have luxury? Do I have luxury? Luxury is the ability to have more than our necessary means. Once our means of eating and paying our bills, sheltering ourselves is satisfied, resources beyond that I would consider as luxuries. Perhaps a simple way to put it would be this. If you have any leisure in your life, a leisure activity, leisure in time, then you live a life of luxury. Not all of human history has experienced the leisure of extra resources or times to have hobbies or interests that way. And so we should pay specific, specific attention here of what James says to those who have the capability of experiencing luxury. We do not want to use these resources that God has given us to indulge ourselves. Let me ask you this question. Why do you want more money? I know you do. I know it's in my heart. The Lord speaks about the desire for more wealth as perhaps a bad desire. He, Jesus speaks about riches and wealth more than anything else, almost next to hell itself. And he speaks about the dangers of wanting more resources, the dangers of having all of these extra resources, how it can harden our hearts and, and keep our hearts far from God, how it can distract us and keep us focused on the things of this world instead of the things that God is up to. Why do you want more resources? Why do you want more money? Do you want more money for more comforts, more leisure, 
more adventures, more stuff, more for me. That's the self-indulgence that James is saying is gonna be judged. Or do you want more money so you say, I wanna do more things for the Lord. I want more resources, I'm trying to generate income so that I might bless more people, care for more people, help others see the things of the Lord, to be able to care for those who don't have. This is a stark warning for us of the misuse of our resources to be spent on ourselves and to live lives of luxury and self-indulgence. The final point is this. So the first three being, hey, I'm going to judge you wealthy, rich landowners because you have hoarded your resources, because you've lived lives of luxury and self-indulgence, that's the misuse. And then the, the wrong gotten gain of it by exploiting your workers, here's the last one. You, in verse six, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The last thing that James says is, in the ways that you have exploited your workers, hoarded your wealth, lived in self-indulgence, you've murdered the righteous person. You think, that just seems extreme. Is that, that's gotta be hyperbolic, right? But no, what was, what was the, the old the covenant saying in, back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy? That if you exploit your workers and keep back their wages, you'll be responsible of sin. That sin could lead to their death. As we said, their daily wage purchased their daily bread. And not paying them makes us culpable, James saying, for their death. And so these are the four reasons he says, weep and wail, you rich, wealthy landowners. You have hoarded the resources God gave you instead of sharing them and alleviating people's suffering. You have exploited your workers by not paying their wages daily, but have held them back, perhaps looking for better markets to make even more money, which makes you culpable of even their death. And you have taken the resources that God has given you and used them for your life of luxury and self-indulgence. Now that's the judgment. What's the hope for the oppressed? We'll pick it up next week, but let's just dip into that text real quick. Here's the hope for the oppressed. Verse seven, to those who are experiencing this, it says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What is our hope is this, the Lord is coming. The Lord, the judge of the universe, who hears and who sees, will make all things right. He will bring into account all the things that have been done. And then he will right every single wrong. It's just like Micah said. Judgment is coming as a consequence of how people have lived contrary to God. But yet there is hope. It's not the end of the story. There is hope that God himself will come as the shepherd of his people, that there will be a new Jerusalem, and that we will abide with the Lord, the King of kings, the righteous King, in the land, in his presence, forevermore. I look forward to unpacking that more next week as we continue our series in James. But now I just want to pray for us that we would be these people who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with our God. 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll have Pastor John share a little bit about what Calvary's been up to and is going to be happening this summer in these areas. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open up your text and to be confronted with your word, that you truly care about these things of justice and mercy. May we not be prideful and arrogant, but may we be humble. And so, Father, would you search each one of us, know each one of us, stir up in us the things that you want us to work through. And so, Father, we just ask that you would awaken an appetite in every single man and woman who's listening for the things of God, that we would know that we want to be people of justice and mercy and humility. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.